0: Welcome to NFP, the non-fungible podcast, with your host, Dee Klein. Hey, welcome to NFP, the non-fungible podcast. I'm Darren Klein, and I'm here today with my guest, the CEO of Block Party, Ladislav Ginsberg. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Darren. It's a pleasure to be here, and um, certainly really a pleasure to be introduced to you and get to know you and be a part of your podcast. So thank you.
0: Yeah. It's kind of cool to meet you. You know, I've actually just been in this realm for a short period of time, but of course you've been in this for a while now. I was looking back through your history a little bit and you were there with block party, you know, in the early days with the tickets, blockchain tickets and Sacramento Kings and so forth. And that was kind of your baby, wasn't it? All that ticket business.
1: Absolutely. And I always, you know, the, it's always such an exciting thing to um, to smirk and laugh about the idea that, you know, I've been around this space for a while and that you've been in this space um, more recently because how relative is that, right? This isn't exactly something where, you know, I, you know I, an industry OG here has been around for like 18 to 24 months. Um, so really, <laughs> having been in this space... For, for anything longer than a week, you're sort of indoctrinated already. And Chris, <laughs> I'll clear so for Darren. It, um, you know, just the, just that you're already podcasting about it, um, learning about it, and spending a few months in the industry. You're 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 basically up to speed.
0: <laughs> well, to be fair, I've written for Cointelegraph Telegraph for the past year. Prior to that, I wrote with uh, Crypto Briefing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, so I've been in crypto for a while. But crypto art, NFTs for a very short period. I was basically in, uh, the spring that I spoke with Robness and kind of learned about the whole scene. Wow. And, uh, I wrote a piece about his experience with super rare on coin telegraph. And, uh, from there, that's kind of where I became so enamored with it and got mm-hmm. really into it. And to the point that now I'm doing the art and I'm kind of on a little hiatus with the writing, I've put that on pause cause I'm just addicted to the art side of it, you know,
1: uh, you're preaching to the choir. I've put ticketing on pause. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, but, uh, but I appreciate the introduction. And and yeah, Block Party was originally founded, um, conceived as a ticketing dApp on Ethereum in 20, in late 2017. Um, that's when I became introduced to the founders. And um, But it was formally kicked off and launched in 2018. So the, the idea of Block Party was um, a pretty meaningful one. It was that there's this wonderful new token standard on uh, Ethereum called ERC-721. It's a non-fungible token. And um, certainly Block Party was not the only ticketing dApp getting started on Ethereum, but certainly the only one that was thinking about non-fungible tokens um, as the token standard by which to issue tickets. And incidentally when folks would ask me in 20, early 2018 what a non-fungible token is ticketing was such a natural way to describe the difference between an, an, an ERC721 and an ERC20 um, mm. in the context of events right because if you're somebody that enjoys concerts as much as I do you know you've been to plenty of concerts that are general admission you know it's just a, a GA room And you've been to stadiums and and seated events plenty. And so that's a really easy way to understand the difference. Whereas your general admission ticket is basically an ERC-20, you know, it's interchangeable with any other ticket. Um, Such is the difference to a seated ticket at a stadium where your ticket is unique to any other ticket because your your ticket specifically relates to section whatever, row whatever, and seat, what have you. And so, and other metadata like entrance gate and things like that. So, <clears throat> it was it was a really interesting and easy way to think about the difference in token standards and what those tokens can do and what Ethereum does. And sometime along the development of that ticketing dap, um, we heard about something called CryptoKitties, which is also using ERC seven twenty one, and these are collectibles and um, and well, it went and crashed the entire Ethereum network, and we were like, "Hey, we better, we better sidechain, um, we better sidechain Ethereum for uh, for these NFTs before you know we try to ticket uh, a concert and um, uh, okay. and things go up in Flames." But listen, that that uh, so I joined at, as the head of sales uh, at the time, and um, leveraging my relationships and. And things from my previous career prior to blockchain in the fine art industry, uh, I was able to help Block Party uh, pitch ticketing to owners of sports teams, music festivals, um, you know, all, all across the entertainment sphere. And we had a really great first year. You know, we moved fast, we broke things, all those great cliches. We uh, we had a great uh, event at Consensus that year where we ticketed our own launch party, uh, and just three months later were just 2 weeks after our launch party actually we did a demonstration a utility demonstration of our technology and thus that allowed us to begin um sort of formalize um token sale and then following that in September of 2018 we ticketed a music festival uh in Miami called Best Life Music Festival and something that stood out to me at the time of ticketing that event was that it was an R&B event right it was um you had 5,000 fans coming to see these wonderful R&B artists. And I'm like geeking out, you know, with a clipboard in my hand and an earpiece thinking like, oh my gosh, like blockchain ticketing, it's real, here we are. And everybody getting into the venue was like, excuse me, why can't I have multiple tickets? You know, I'm here with like three of my friends. Why can't I have four tickets on one phone? Like why do I have to distribute one ticket to each wallet? Why can't I buy a ticket on StubHub? Why is transferring my ticket from point A to point B such a, you know, such a mess? Why can't my friend come? And all these things, and nobody wanted to hear it, that you're like the first person to be doing this. Um, everybody wanted a clean and seamless experience. And that was a big learning for us as a company. And it certainly speaks to, um, the you know, what mass adoption is all about and simplifying these products. Um, but you know, ticketing is very hard to scale. It's not necessarily a meritocracy. You know, what I kept hearing over and over and over from every pitch was, Hey, this is so great. We love blockchain. Maybe, you know, we hate Ticketmaster. Maybe, you know, (laughs) um, everybody was down with the idea. Mm -hmm. Very few people want to be the guinea pig, right? Very few people. Um, and, and I'll, you know, I won't name names, but like, we were talking to owners of professional sports teams that were like, "We hate Ticketmaster. If we could, if we could drop them tomorrow, we would." But here's the thing: we have 41 home games a year with 20,000 fans. We have an army of staff that's trained in these things. We're like, we need a little bit more than blockchain to convince us to totally move over our, you know, this huge operational thing. That frankly, like, I don't even really care about the ticketing. You know, they're like, it's. and by the way, Ticketmaster pays us in advance for five years. Are you able to do that? And hmm. so it, uh, all that is to say that as much as the technology was disruptive, it was sort of, the technology can't be disruptive for the sake of being disruptive. It really right. has to move the needle for, um, for the clients that use it. Now, I could talk all day about the benefits for the, the customers of the client but we weren't even, and as much as a blockchain product can solve their pain points, we weren't solving the pain points of the clients well enough to even get to that level. And around the time, a a couple of things happened in like a very short succession, succession, excuse me, that really informed my love for digital art on the blockchain. Um, Number one, I mean, I love live music, right? And mm-hmm. I love, I, I go to concerts all the time. And that's something that really informed my excitement about Block Party, the ticketing company. And mm-hmm. Block Party, the ticketing company, you know, I, I'd, I'd be talking to folks from Eventbrite and, and Live Nation and all these incumbent players. And it's nice to see these, they weren't, re- once you guys know the people, they weren't like these evil monoliths, right? It was maybe the corporation was the evil monolith, but the people that worked there were just also passionate about music. And I'd be talking to them and we'd all be like, man, we all collect our ticket stubs since we were like 10 years old. We all collect concert posters. We all collect uh, the visual element of um, being music fans. And while we all acknowledged the inevitability of ticketing going digital, just arguing whether or not that's a blockchain product or not, um, (laughs) we were all kind of lamenting that whatever is going to happen to our scrapbooks of ticket stubs. Right. And I'm like, well, one of the things that we kind of have to solve for with our own technology stack is that an NFT is kind of forever, right? Like just because you went to the show, the NFT doesn't go anywhere. So we actually did have a like sort of a problem internally of like what happens with a burnt NFT. Like once you've used it, it doesn't go away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, and I'm, I had this like light bulb moment of, well, wait a minute maybe that's not a bug, maybe that's a feature. Right. And, um, also from my time in the art business towards, um, towards the end where I started considering, you know, flipping from into the blockchain world, uh, I, I was managing some artists instead of, um, selling paintings on, um, you know, on a high level and the auction, you know, in sort of like the, the blue chip art space, I, I was starting to get interested in actually working with working artists that were doing cool things. And, a couple of my clients were signed by musicians to create the visual aspects of tours. So I did sort around 2015, 2016. I did get a very intimate look of um, what it, of just how much musicians care about the art that goes into their shows. One of my clients, um, brilliant, brilliant artist by the name of Ryan Keeley, uh, was hired by Miss Lauren Hill to do her stage all the all her stage work for her tour. Like she would sing and perform, and she'd have these four giant artworks hanging over her head on the stage made by him. So I was kind con- I was coming with him on a bunch of the shows and just seeing how meticulous and how much effort was going in from the musician side into how they were presenting the visual element. And so I was like, huh, you know, a lot of these entertainers, a lot of the people that were pitching for ticketing think an awful lot about art without ever monetizing it. Right, right. And, you know, I ha and the the, the final, I guess thing that was the final aha moment was I got a phone call from a friend who became aware that uh, two guys were starting an NFT art company um, and were doing something really cool with a major artist. And they they were looking at inviting a bunch of like crypto people and art people to just sort of do like an impromptu bottle of wine and like a focus group around what they were doing just to make sure they weren't like totally nuts. Um, and those guys um, um, <clears throat> were Misha and Andre from snark.art. And they were doing the, their project with um, Eve Sussman, uh, the wonderful artist Eve Sussman, uh, for uh, their atoms and atomizing her, uh, her award her award-winning video. And um, a friend that kind of knew that I have that art background and was working for a blockchain company asked me to come along and just hang out. And I was blown away with what I saw. I was like, this is it. This is it. Because everybody in the art business that knew anything about blockchain was talking to me about like, oh, what about blockchain for a catalog raisin? What about blockchain for provenance? What about this? And, I was like, and I'm like, no, no, forget no, I forgot about it. <laughs> uh, that was the thing. That, when I saw their work with Eve Sussman, that's when I was like, that's it. If art has a blockchain future, that's it. And so um, we, um, anyway, it was, th- those things made me very passionate about the idea of art and blockchain. And yeah. uh, I still had a responsibility to sell ticketing. Uh, and I guess what, what it's, I guess what I would describe as the nail in the coffin was I think a lot of blockchain projects. Um, and this is funny, right before quarantine started at NFT NYC, uh, that was sort of the last event that I went to. I think there were like four companies um, that were pounding their chests about their partnership with the Sacramento Kings. You know, mm-hmm. The Sacramento Kings are like they're, they're they're like the incubator of blockchain projects for professional sports. But um, it was really the Sacramento Kings and um, their owner, their CTO Ryan Montoya, Ian Wheat, their director of innovation. They were the you know I did pitching them ticketing. They were curious, and when push came to shove, they were just like, "Look, ticketing is great." We don't really care. <laughs> uh, we, 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 you know, uh, you know, we, we want to succeed uh, on blockchain, um, but it's not going to happen for a number of reasons. We really want to be the first team to have our own cryptocurrency. We understand there's regulation problems of doing so in the United States. Um, if you guys can figure it out, you know, the job's yours. And so we figured it out. I'm very proud to say that Uh, By the time the NBA season paused, we signed that deal in the fall of 2019 after a very arduous uh, due diligence process with the NBA to sign off on our plan of how to launch a legally compliant token inside the United States for a professional sports team and make it easy enough, accessible enough for the fans. After we got the sign off and signed the deal in the fall of 2019, um, by the time the NBA season paused... 13,000 Kingspans um, had, were holding a token and actively. Wow. It. Um, and I think ultimately that's what I'm most proud of, mm. um, of what Block Party accomplished before adapting our NFT approach to art and cultural assets instead of tickets. It's um, a lot of what I'm telling you here is kind of comes down to a single unifying point. Which is, people will use a blockchain product, but it's got to be simple. It's got to follow the rules, um, but it's got, but it, it really has to deliver value to mm-hmm. um, to that fan. And it's really, and before you, but we, and before you even get to the fan, you've got to deliver the value to um, the person or the client who is then. Offering your product to engage your fans. Um, yeah, so that's uh, by the time after we signed the deal with the Kings, it was at that point that we we became convinced that our future was building consumer blockchain products for the entertainment world, not necessarily ticketing. And because there was going to be such a focus on art and the block party organization, we saw this coming. We saw the market growing. We saw the artists becoming. Yeah, interested. tell
0: me about that. How did you anticipate that?
1: Sure. Um, a, a number of things, um, but to keep it brief, uh, we, we just kind of saw it from a ticketing side, right? Contemporary and Digital Art Fair had its inaugural art fair in New York in March of 2019. Okay, We, we got to ticket that uh, that event because digital art, and there were a bunch of blockchain artists that were involved in it. And so um, the organizers Or blockchain people like in the blockchain space and we're curious about a blockchain product for that event um so just ticketing that event i became exposed to just how many legitimate artists were doing this and that event that event sold out every piece as an art dealer i'm like first time art art fair selling out every piece okay i'm I'm interested Mm -hmm. we we ticketed um an art a digital art fair in manchester uk uh that was organized by the founders of what is now known origin so from um from david moore uh, of known origin we i I definitely learned a lot about art i mentioned snark.art and what i learned from those guys and we just kind of uh, the, the, the 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 aha moment was how many artists were becoming interested in this thing because digital art has actually existed For a long time, right? Mm -hmm. It's existed since digital. It just wasn't monetized because how do you package a digital uh, asset like that as a product? You don't have that problem with paintings. You know, you can paint all day, but to get paid for it, you got to put it on a canvas, stick it in a frame and put it on a wall. And that frame, that canvas is the product by which you sell the artwork, which is the paint. And digital art never had that moment
0: um until until now yeah it's it's an amazing like expanding field i mean where do you see this going here in the next little while i was talking a lot of the artists i've spoken with recently um they've many of them feel that the biggest kind of emerging element is this connection between the physical and the digital like digitally tokenized physical products do you know what i'm saying like so for example uh you know, it might be an artwork where you purchase the token and you also receive the physical work, you know, uh, like Trevor Jones, for example.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That is, um, you know, that is, I I agree uh, wholeheartedly because first of all, one of the exciting things about this space is seeing brilliant artists like a Trevor Jones that do create artwork in the physical realm. You know, I think it's. We all get excited. I'll put it this way: we all get excited when Trevor Jones enters the space. We get excited when artists that are well known and famous in the physical realm cross over into the digital realm. Uh, Block Party was very fortunate when we launched our NFT art platform in August to do so with Ryan Keeley, who I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, that, that was a natural guy because of our relationship. But along with him came Harif Guzman. And Mark Paul Darren, um, who who goes by Mad Stees, you know, Mark Paul Darren is a brilliant artist and he was a brilliant painter. He's, um, in fact, after Kobe Bryant passed away earlier this year, um, Mark Paul Darren's portrait of Kobe Bryant became like, you know, uh, very widely circulated and and familiar. But you, you, I mean, so many people have seen Mark, Mark Darren's work. He, Paints murals in every major city, and they're celebrated murals. Uh, Harif Guzman um, is an artist that's currently exploding, and this entire and we sold out all their works on our launch so quickly, um, and it just speaks to how excited everybody gets in the space when you have amazing artists. Again, Trevor Jones coming into the space. However, don't forget, we're asking trained artists in the physical realm to try a medium they've never tried before in the digital. And it's, it's a lot to ask of a lot of artists. Some artists are going to do it and it's going to be hugely successful. And I'd mention Trevor Jones in that camp, certainly. And other artists are, it's going to be, a, are going to need a little while to figure it out. But I think the most, for the most part though, and I've spoken to Mike, um, I spoken to a few artists that are, you know, they want to get into the NFT space. They want to get into digital. They want to get into the tokens, but they don't want to abandon the physical space either. So providing so providing those artists a bridge, uh, mm-hmm. physical and token, is um, is compelling and it's necessary. I think to get the most possible talented artists into the space and leave the and you know and 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 it also gives space to the natively digital artists to really shine. And I think they're having their moment, which, you know, they, they should get to have. I'd also like to add that much in the same way that I found it simple to explain the difference between a URC 20 token and a URC 721 token by comparing a general admission event to a seated event, so too does a digital token referencing a physical artwork make it easy to explain the value of the NFT beyond just um, a way to prove you own a digital asset. Um, Something that people don't necessarily realize about the art world is that certificates of authenticity aren't really a thing anymore. Hmm. Um, Around 2012, 2011, the exact date escapes me, but you had all of these... Foundations of the most popular pop artists basically throw their hands up and say we can't we can't even tell a real from a fake anymore. Um, the Warhol Foundation, um, the the Keith Haring Foundation, all these foundations that were previously responsible for issuing certificates of authenticity uh, for artists uh, were just like we 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 can't tell real from a fake anymore, so we're just not going to do it.
0: What we're going to uh, basically threw their hands up and said, forget it. We can't do anything about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't unprompted. There, there were starting to be like, there were starting to be some lawsuits around it and some liability because they, they really couldn't tell. And I mean, you go to these FBI vaults that have to, that have that have the real and the fake side by side. You can't tell, you, uh, especially with like acrylics and, um, and screen prints, like as, as art became more contemporary, you just you, you just can't tell. Um, and so when you're selling a blue chip artwork, like a Warhol, let's say you're not, you're no longer relying on a certificate of authenticity because no one's going to give it to you. When you're dealing with those kind of artworks, you're relying on the chain of title. Okay. And you're relying on someone like me who would do, who would like literally most of my time was spent compiling documents of like how this painting got to where you are looking at it. Shipping records, ownership records, et cetera. Um, auction houses thrived because they sort of became these like trusted arbiters of what is the proper chain of title and what isn't. But I mean, if you take if you take a Warhol or something like that into the Christie's and you can't back up where it came from, it doesn't matter what paper you have that says it's real. They're gonna you know you're gonna get laughed out of the room. And so <clears throat> the NFT, in my opinion, especially when you bridge it into a physical artwork is super interesting because it acts less as a certificate of authenticity and more as this really clean chain of title if the nft is generated alongside with alongside a new physical artwork and those things are tied and there are really wonderful tools out there to tie them together a lot of wonderful companies are working on um for example ar to uh, to tie these things, um, what what you have, uh, uh, as I mentioned, is you don't need an auction house. You don't need a me, I guess, doing the manual labor or even being a, a finding the you know the, the chain of title and finding proof of how it got here. You don't need to trust. I'm using that word trust. We use that all the time. Blockchain, an auction house to tell you, oh, it's legit. Don't worry. Uh, trust us. Um, it's it becomes a trustless uh, system of valid transactions even for physical artworks that's why the traditional art world is perking up and, and paying attention the same you know the, the same thing um, that made me so excited about bitcoin when i learned about it is happening here
0: right and, so you know, being from the traditional art world would you would you say people in that realm see this as a threat to their Way of doing things, or are they more eager to kind of jump in themselves and join them? Anytime you have an incumbent industry, you're going to
1: be perceived as a threat first and foremost. Right. And you know, and and I and I I saw that in the ticketing space, right? Like, you know, when we got that first music festival contract, Ticketmaster wasn't high fiving us. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's that's more clearly an attack, though, wouldn't you say like, whereas the traditional art world, you could theoretically kind of make that transition in a way. Right.
1: I think um, I would I would categorize it. uh, I'll categorize the feeling as curious. Okay. curious. Um, The reason why I don't think there's resistance per se is that the art world naturally. Requires new genres. Okay. What we consider classic art today was once upon a time, like cutting edge contemporary. You know, sure. Monet's water lilies. You know, broke the mold. <laughs> once upon a time, and so, you know, the, the the art world constantly needs new a new genre, a new contemporary. And where the where I'm sensing the curiosity from from the big collectors is whether or not this art form is that next sort of genre you know, to, to become interesting for the mainstream. The auction houses are watching very carefully. The galleries are watching very carefully, but they like what they see. Uh, art Basel would have been last weekend um, in a non-COVID environment. But mm-hmm. most, of the, most of the artists and the art dealers and the gallerists were down there anyway, regardless of whether or not there's an art fossil. I'll tell you right now, everyone is, everyone, nope. Whereas last year, people were asking me, what's an NFT? This year, everyone is like, oh, NFTs, I've heard of that. Like, mm-hmm. isn't that one artist make all that money?
0: Cool. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll check it out. Robert Ellis with the, um, yeah, he was the first one at Sotheby's. Was he not Robert Ellis? I think.
1: Um, Am I correct? You're, you're talking about the block 21 piece. Yes. Yeah. That's sold at Christie's.
0: Uh, he Christie's actually, was it? okay. Yeah. But he
1: actually used to work at Sotheby's. of so ah, right. is So why
0: I'm mixing it up. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. Amazing. Talk to me about where you see things going with AR VR and digital collectibles. What do you think? Where is that going? Oh, absolutely. Um,
1: And I want to be thoughtful about this answer because um, this is—we're—I think we're at an inflection point right now, where you, this space is now undeniable. We've right. have, we have—we have an NFT having been sold at Christie's. We have the market volume to really have shown the art world legitimacy about what we do here, and I actually think it's more than a genre. I think it's its own beast. Um, You have artists that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's time to really see where this goes. Um, AR and VR is a... I think this is where we kind of branch off. I'll put it that way. AR and VR are interesting. I mentioned AR as a means by which to tie the physical to the digital. Um, I think VR is... There's, there's something that's really exciting about it, right? Um, again, I, I get asked all the time why is, why are NFTs having their moment now? And I would and like, and like I said earlier, I think that digital art has existed for a long time since digital. I would also argue that ebooks have existed for a long time. In fact, almost every book begins its life as an ebook because these authors are writing in Microsoft Word. Right, sure. <laughs> um, but it was really hard to monetize an ebook because who wants to read a book hunched over their computer? It wasn't until um, it wasn't until Apple made a totally unrelated product called an iPad, where suddenly everybody's walking around with a tablet, and Amazon comes around and says, "Well, we're going to make a tablet, and now it's cool to have a tablet. So why don't read a book on this?" So you you had this you you finally had this frame in which you can productize an ebook. And right. so if we're having a similar moment with art where you can where we're having our i we're having our sort of like iPad Kindle moment uh which is allowing digital art to become easily more easily monetized, collected and sold, then I would say I would I would argue that um the next question is always okay, so you can hold a Kindle, you can walk around with it. How are you going to really experience uh, this digital art you bought off of your computer screen, well, digital frames, sure, but why stop there? Um, and VR headsets are—I'm not even talking about the headsets in specifically. Like, I, there's really cool stuff happening with the Oculus, but I'm actually more interested in the in what's happening with the metaverses and what's happening with the crypto voxels of the world, um, mm-hmm. places where. Um, Places where, look, somebody like me is going to prefer a digital frame. I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of at this point. I'm just used to being surrounded by um, paintings on the wall. I love my digital art that I've collected. I want to look at it, and so I'm going to be a customer for a digital frame. But as a business owner, I'm aware of how much of our audience and how much of the buying audience of NFTs is super familiar with gaming, sure. very comfortable with living in a virtual world and may actually prefer to experience the artworks they've collected in a digital realm entirely. And so uh, metaverse platforms in which to display, show off, experience your artwork um, certainly are very interesting.
0: Absolutely, yeah where do you see that going in terms of those things being like productized as collectibles what do you think oof um like do you see more brands getting on board in the next little while are there you know some that you well maybe there's a couple you know about that are kind of cutting edge oof uh
1: now I've now I have to wonder what I can say and can't say. Uh-huh. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, look. Okay. So I'll, I'll put it this way: there's the way in which we look at it at Block Party, and there's the way in which um, a company that's more interested in the in the in the Metaverse would answer. So, um, first of all, maybe I'm biased because I'm like right in the middle of Ready Player Two right now, but like the Metaverse is coming and it's coming fast. Uh, you know, when I play video games like FIFA or something like that, I see real world companies buying virtual ad space in virtual stadiums in a video game. So right. that, that the mainstream and brands coming into something that's getting as popular as the Decentraland or a, or crypto voxels is inevitable. That's happening. So I, I'm, I'm certainly like, I mean, I've got popcorn in my lap, front row seat. Love watching what's happening there. Uh, that's, but that's not really. So, but I'm sort of a, a a fan there. I'm I'm just I'm I'm in the same spot as you. I'm just excited to see what happens, and I'm and I'm waiting to see it. Uh, from a blog party st- uh, standpoint, you know we're, um. I would sort of answer your question where where I see this going. Kind of back to that like head scratching moment I had in the summer of 2019. You know, being like, well, I collect ticket stubs you know, and I collect posters, and I, and why can't, and all my tapes are digital. Why aren't, why are these things, why are these things separate? And I would encourage you to think about this, right? So I just, I, I just mentioned that I personally as a collector of digital art, I'm going to prefer the digital frame. But sure. the digital frame is an answer to your question that brings up new questions, isn't it? Because there are so many things that are screens all over the place and you know jumbotron to stadiums are screens um more to the point you know when you go to a concert and you're seeing edm and you know we um justin blau uh dj blau um he did his first drop with block party and then found a lot of success with you know other platforms and will be doing more drops with block party he kind of had that same moment you did back in the spring where you know he's a friend and has been an advising Block Party for a while, and we're just kind of catching up. Like you know, what are you doing in the pandemic? What are you doing in the pandemic? And I, you know, and that's when he learned about NFTs. And you know, a month later, he's like,
0: "Oh my god, are you seeing what artists are doing?" And I'm like, "I oh, actually me. interviewed him right at that time for because uh, I wrote a, I write a column for Cointelegraph Telegraph called Journals yeah. and he was one of my subjects." Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. So no, and it was right at that time, kind of in the early COVID stages. And he was, it was kind of a difficult time because all these concerts were getting shut down, right? Yeah. You know, so he was pretty reflective at the time, but I don't know if he was quite tapped into the art side of it yet. And I wanted to ask you about that in terms of block party having, when I go there and look at the website, there's a lot of kind of cool audio visual NFTs that that seems to have exploded in the last little while. Yes. That kind of combination. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and, and that's the last part
1: of um, the and that's the last part of the, uh, what I was answering previously is to to bring it back around. Musicians like Justin are spending, you know, they're, they're, they're you know spend time in the studio, but they spend a lot more time than you think working with artists to figure out what does what, what's the aesthetic vibe of my tour, what's it all look like what does, you know, even on Spotify, a visualizer there in the bottom right, there's a lot of visual art that goes into this. So even though the, you know, when you interviewed Justin, he wasn't thinking about, you know, he wasn't thinking about this in terms of the artistry, but when, when we were speaking, I was like, yo, you, Slime Sunday, like you guys, you know, you guys work together to do all your, to do your tour visuals, how many hours have you been doing that? Why aren't you monetizing that? Um, right, right. Let's see, let's see how, let's see where that goes, right? When I go to when I go to music festivals and I see performers like Blau up on stage, there there are big old screens right over their head. Sure. And um, the music festivals that um, that I know and we're speaking to now really think about, well, how are we like when we when we come back from this pandemic, how are we going? Every music festival is going to do three of themselves just to make up for lost time. (laughs) gonna we're gonna yeah. be absolutely overwhelmed with the, with, a, with a flood of music festivals so more than ever they're gonna to have to differentiate themselves and so right. this is where our heads at this is where we really want to focus um, coming out of the pandemic and so to your question about what you're seeing on block party and I, and I do appreciate uh you clicking around we're, we're very we're very proud of what we've been able to accomplish with what is effectively our prototype but what you see on the site is who we are in our mission as a brand we um you know we are nothing short of um just obsessed with this idea of sitting in the middle of culture with nfts Uh, i don't i wouldn't say that we're necessarily art focused or music focused or sports focused or whatever focused I would say that we sit at the intersection of where music meets art and that, and so much of what you, you'll see on our site is, um, is in service to that passion. It's in service to um, the blouse of the world finding again, it, 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 it's, a, it's a simple pitch. You know, you, you, are, you already do it. You already, we've, we've spoken to so many musicians. You already, worry about the aesthetic element of what you do as a musician of what of how your music makes people feel when they see it monetize it your fans want it Mm -hmm. um and so that's kind of what you're seeing uh right now we have some really wonderful works uh that we released yesterday by nate hill the photographer um set to really incredible music um and while i won't get to the details of who else is planning on drops, you know. We, we applaud every single time that Blau and Slime Sunday have a killer drop on Nifty Gateway or Super Rare. Because uh, those, you know, or, or Async, those are platforms that are really focused on the art and really focused on an art experience. And we think they do a great job. Um, and I just saw today that Lil Yachty is doing something with Nifty Gateway. Um, this is what we want to see more of. We want to see more of mu- the music and art worlds um, who already intersect so much informally, formalize that intersection.
0: Right, right on. That's awesome. Um you want to talk about how we wanna we wanna see maybe over the course of time how this broadens to a broader audience in terms of people having a part of something? Like, are there ways that you know, you talk about these works that are many thousands of dollars. Uh, and then there's this whole idea of like people owning a fraction of something, mm-hmm. right? Owning a part of something. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? That concept? Absolutely. Um, cause
1: you'll, because what we're bracing for in 2021 is a, you know, if I, if I could think of five popular musicians that are doing um, uh, NFTs now, I mean, it'll be 50 before you know it, blink again around sure. five hundred. Um, so the first thing I'm seeing is um, not every artist is gonna be able to do a twenty thousand dollar in a T sale. Of course. You know? and, and and artists with how many fans they have are passionate about their fans. And so I think you'll be seeing more stuff like open editions. Um, I and I think a lot of artists think about their fans and think, well do I want to sell $5,000 NFTs or do I want to sell, you know, $1,000, dollars NFTs. And that's the, that's the first thing I'd look out for because um, there's a, there's a fine line. There's a very fine line that gets blurred, but there's a fine line between merchandise and art. Mm-hmm. And I think 2021 will bring, the first wave of really exploring what that boundary looks like or if there is a boundary that's one of the fun things about this space like we don't i don't know <laughs> i don't know mm-hmm. i really don't, don't know yeah. um, but i i think that's um oh but but that's what's really cool like will there be a will there be a boundary or not um that's one area and the second area is when you say fractional ownership one of the things that um one of the things that really drive fans, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a musician, whether it's a collector or an artist, something that really drives fans is this um, is belonging to the brand, is feeling part of the brand. Um, I have talked to many promoters uh, in the music space that's, that laugh at the idea that kids nowadays are... Um, aren't as passionate fans as like previous generations were it's quite the opposite. Like they're absolutely more driven fans than ever, but they seek authenticity. You know, they Mm. seek to, they they don't want to be just marketed to, they want to feel part of something. And so um, this is something that I thought was so cool about that Eve Sussman piece that I learned about when I first started my NFT art journey. And um, back when I did is that, I could never own that piece from Eve Sussman. There's 10 copies of it. They're all loaned by museums or like super high-end collections that they're never going to sell. She burned her artist proof and tokenized little parts of it into like fractional pieces of that video. And Mm. so I bought 10 of those little NFTs and I'll never own the full piece, but me and a bunch of other collectors that are passionate about Eve Sussman uh, and passionate about the work she did Um, are a community of owners. And that is actually, to me, even more interesting, uh, being part of this community of owners. And so I think that um, one shared unifying cultural asset that is owned by many fans of a brand um, is such a value add to the fans to feel like they're part of something and with legitimacy, right? And it's such an opportunity for the brand to Connect in a very authentic way with those fans because they're linked now, right? All those wallets that hold the that hold the fractional ownership tokens, all those wallets are now linked back to that originator, and um and it's and it's really it's really special. Um, one more note about uh, my experience in the art world um, that informs some of this thinking is um, in two thousand twelve. I negotiated the purchase of the first ever photographs taken of the Beatles. Oh, wow. And so when my company acquired those photographs, we also negotiated the negatives and the copyrights. And so began like this journey of having an asset. Of which I can reproduce as much or as or little as I wanted to, because I own the copyright to it. That is fine art. It's fine art photography, but appeals to a fan of the most popular rock band in the history of our of humanity, and so, and they and they love this brand so much. And first of all, printing fine art. Now if I print a picture, if I print a picture of the Beatles and it's fine art. Um, then I don't owe a cent to Apple or or any of the estates. But if I start merchandising pictures of the Beatles, now I have now I have a problem.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so there there's that fine but very real line between fine art and merchandise. So if I print a picture of John Lennon, right, how what defines if that picture is fine art, or if that picture is merchandise? How many times I printed? You know, what kind of materials I use? These are all kind of crazy questions. And so, and also I'm generally selling to a fan that wants to buy merchandise. Right. So what I learned is from that experience is it actually didn't matter whether the fan was a Beatles fan or an art collector. They wanted to feel part of something. They wanted to feel part of this moment in time. That was the first ever photo taken of the band. You know, they wanted to feel part of history. And so, what you're describing of fractionalized ownership of an artwork um, created by a brand, a musician, an artist, can be very powerful. Uh, something that um, we think about a lot at Block Party, and this is where I actually take a big old step back. And um, our our chief technology officer, Joseph Ashella, is leading the charge here. Uh, but um, you know, but we have, you know, we have a brilliant new engineer, John Story, and they're really interested about, okay, if you fractionalize the ownership of NFT, well, and you break it up, well, don't you have a, could you, you know, could you make a DAO? And and I think the next, you know, what, and again, I don't know anything, but like, I don't, you know, this is all so new, but what if, uh, the, the, the beauty of Block Party and the beauty of what we do here is, we get to sit around and think, what if, what if? And then we build it and give it to musicians and artists and see what happens with their fans. That's so cool. Because what if you can create an artwork that is either an artwork for the, you know, the next album or or is just an artwork for the sake of art. And you have a community of fans that um, each own a piece of it really intangibly. You can experience their piece of it, but also decide what happens with the art also decide what happens with um, um, where it gets exhibited, if it gets exhibited, how it gets exhibited. Um, the, you know, the possibilities are, are truly endless.
0: That's awesome, wow. Yeah, That's pretty cool, you know, being right there on the front lines of this whole movement, right? It's that you're there, so. It's that's pretty cool. It must feel sometimes like you're just going down the rapids with a little oar, and it's like, am I even steering this thing at all, or am I just flying along with the water? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and that that's a really good metaphor because it, it it sort of feels that way. Um, you know, it feels one way some days, and then the other way in other days, because especially you know, you think you have this oar, and you think you know what you're building, and you think you <laughs> know what you're building for. Um, and then you look at you look around the other platforms like. They did what? <laughs> yeah. And now and now and now you're in that um and now you're in that current. Uh but it's exciting certainly and um and it's it's also just exciting to just to hear your experience, right? So you're ready for Coin Telegraph and you're you're in the crypto world and you're coming out of a time where you know I coming out of a time where in 2019 well, you know, sort of at the tail end of like crypto winter or right smack in the middle of crypto winter where you're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe just maybe blockchain is a fintech application and mm-hmm. everything else we'll see what happens down the line. And then, um, cause I was, there, cause I was there too, you know, I was, I was, I was there as well. And then when you, it sounds like you and I had similar experiences where, you see something, you talk to someone, you have an idea, you you find this thing, you go down the rabbit hole, and then you're like, oh wait, maybe this is the killer app and it has nothing to do with FinTech. And so when, um, so I, I'm definitely keen to hear more of your experience because it sounds like you know you had this one conversation and it led to another conversation. Can, can you point to an NFT or can you point to an artwork that made you think to yourself, this, the same way made me think to myself, hey, i got to put what I'm doing in a hiatus and and and, and, and do something else. Uh,
0: I don't want to toot my own horn, but I started just exploring it myself, just the crypto art side of it. And uh, I had success way quicker than I expected, basically. And uh, I joined Known Origin a few weeks ago. Um, so I'm on Known Origin and Rarible and OpenSea. And just the community of artists that just immediately just kind of connected with me. And, uh, um, the emergence of that whole community has been awesome and just, you know, creating things that people really love. And then they have that freedom to just support you by just that immediate buying of it. It's just what a great feeling to have someone else love your art so much that they're willing to pay good money for it. You know what I mean? So, you know, it was just, uh, a crazy experience to have that happen so quickly. Um, so now I'm, you know, I did a collab as a joke kind of thing the other day. I I, I don't know if you talk to any of the, the trash artist movement, but of course, being with Robness, I've talked yeah. to a lot of these guys. You know, I've talked with Second Realm and Bitumen and uh, a number of people in that field. And uh, there's just a comedy element to that that I enjoy as well, right? That kind of remixing. In fact, that's been kind of a common... Theme. Maybe you can touch on that. I'm curious what you think. This whole remixing controversy that's been going on lately, where you have artists, well, artists, you have people basically stamping their name on art and saying, okay, I remixed it. Now it's, you know, a new work. And then some people say, no, that's not legitimate. And others will say, well, it's a transformation, you know, and where? what do you think of that whole controversy? Oh, wow. Um, sort if that puts you on the spot. No, not at all.
1: Um, not at all. And actually, it's an important it's an important thing because I I resist wherever I can um, the habit, you know, a, a, as an individual, you know, like I, you know, I, I tend to be politic. I to debate things. I like to like try to look at the merits of each argument. Um, but as, you know, uh, from my seat at Block Party and, you know, being the CEO and, 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 and leading our platform, I do believe that there's a time and a place to be politic and sort of hear all sides in a time and a place to stand for something
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and and stand against something with what we do a little bit differently at block party. And it's maybe a little bit ambitious, but um, we actually start every NFT on our, as an internal, we use an internal blockchain asset management system that is entirely private. And so any NFT that originated on block party, will have originated on that private asset management blockchain and what i i what we do after the fact which i call hub and spoke is if the creator comes to us and says i'm gonna i want to do an nft but this nft should really live in ethereum well it begins in our internal system and then it can be withdrawn and minted out of our internal system onto ethereum so our internal system is a hub and then ethereum is a spoke mm-hmm. uh, so we have just finished Connecting Ethereum into our hub, and so that spoke, quote unquote, is finished, and we're beginning. Um, in, in September, we announced that the next spoke would be Flow, and so we'll. And once we're finished with Flow, we'll do the next one and the next one, and so on and so forth. And so I, I like to think that we can enable remixing in a way that is all that is also equitable to the original artist because the original work if it comes from block party should have a provenance, a chain of title that it began its life at block party. And, and our, uh, our internal blockchain, the metadata there and the hashing data there should match up with the metadata and hashing of whatever blockchain it was then withdrawn onto. And so what does that mean for this um, for this sort of genre you're talking about? Well, what if it, it if we're able to provide a system that you can kind of tell what is the like, I have a problem with it when it become when when the lines are blurred, of what of, of what the of what the original is, you know mm-hmm. that, that's where I have a problem. If you have if if somebody's try if if it just looks exactly the same and it's sort of like is minted similarly on Ethereum and it's kind of meant to be du- a duplicitous, then it it wades into a place that I'm not comfortable with. But if you have a thing where you know an artist created something on block party and then it should go travel from block party onto ethereum but maybe i wanted to remix that and i wanted to put it on flow or i wanted to put it on um gosh i don't know a, a different just something else at least that's first of all visible uh but number 2 i kind of like it <laughs> you know so like i think as, as as a creative, right, and as somebody that wants to support creativity, there's literally a book on my desk that's uh, that called "Steal Like an Artist." Right, right. There and um and and I always try to bring in precedent to things. So okay. like think about think about your favorite artists. They're aping somebody else. You know. Sure. Uh, I think that you know Andy, like Andy, I brought up Andy Warhol earlier in our conversation. Andy Warhol adored Joseph Boyce and wished he could do what Joseph Boyce was doing you know, and, and and so much of the uh, other artists in Warhol's um, sort of, you know, his contemporaries were all kind of seeing, like, what what somebody else was doing and, and oh, trying that, and then, oh, and, and then trying that. Like, Pica- let's go back to Picasso. Picasso didn't invent cubism, you know, but his friend George Brock was was, was doing cubism and Picasso like, wait, I want to try that. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. not... Uh, like there is a culture of taking something and iterating on it. Uh, We see in music, the remix, Uh, the remixes that, that happen all the time. And so I think there's such a wonderful opportunity um, for the, we're all, we're we're all on a blockchain, right? We're all, I I don't want to start making up things for blockchains to do that blockchains don't actually do, but like, but technically um, blockchains are supposed to, are supposed to, not technically, but blockchains are supposed to be sort of censor proof um, open ecosystems that are that protect um, the P2P nature of transactions to keep them real and authentic, but without putting in a layer of censorship. And so, I want. So, should a block party support that? Should a block party provide? a so um uh this just a, a an absolutely clear accounting of these p2p transactions of art so we know what was the original but also not necessarily censor an artist from borrowing and, and, and remixing the important thing is can we keep that equitable and mm-hmm. uh and, and and that's and that's the point of view that that's my point of view on it as a brand can't we keep that equitable can't we enable um uh, can't we enable artists to um, to borrow? Maybe, maybe some artists can permission their work to be borrowed. Um, but the original needs to be
0: the original. I think the trickiest part of it all is that creative people tend to like to push the boundaries, tend to like to push the buttons and see what happens, tend to like to break things and go see this isn't working in this way or that way. And do it in kind of outlandish ways, you know, like if you think about like the the whole toter controversy or, you know, uh, the hot potato, you know, or those kinds of concepts where they there really is a pushing of of boundaries and forcing people to be faced with those questions, mm-hmm. you know, that I think that makes it tricky, right? Because as much as you might be aiming to make things equitable, there's going to be people that are going to play with that, you know, that are going to push that in one way or another
1: well I mean let's take that one step further isn't that sort of legitimizing for this movement Um, I think think it makes it less of a movement then and it makes it more of a legitimate uh, of a legitimate um, art form because there's now there's now a um, look I mean we, we Again, man, we we encounter this every day, you know. when, When in platform building, we encounter things all the time that challenge us because there are no rules written. But we've got to hurry up and write the rules. If there are rules, we've got to, or we've got to, or we've at least got to... something that I love also about just blockchain in general. All the companies that are doing whatever they're doing, and artists, the artists you're talking about. Something I love so much is that. Good judgment, <laughs> good judgment of like what is and what is not the right thing is necessary in 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 um, in um everything that we're doing. And so like, you know, we think about things like, well, what happens when there's, what happens when we, when we create NFT and something goes wrong? You know, because things go wrong. Mas, you know, uh, uh, Murphy's Law, something, something along, you know, the text that will go wrong and we've got to go fix it and iterate it before we can release it. And then, but like, what's say what happens if you mint if an NFT and then there's something wrong with it? do you burn it? You know, like what, you know, what, what do you do with it? And, and the answer in my opinion is always go back, take a big old step backwards and look for the precedent. You know, this, this NFT space didn't exist five years ago. What were -hmm. were people doing when they had, when they were presented with a similar issue? Um, And the fact that what you're bringing up, which is accurate is that artists are pushing buttons or pushing boundaries are sort of like ruffling feathers and, and seeing what happens. I, yeah, think yeah. It, I think it's legitimizing that this isn't a trend, right? This is a real, this is a real culture that is trying to figure itself out, and you need squeaky wheels for that culture. You know, you, 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 you just do. And so, I think in a lot of the things that we think about as a platform are. Observing what happens, what's working, what's not working, what happens when there are squeaky wheels, and what can we build with good judgment about like what supports everyone, or what supports what we think is the right thing, and what guides us to make those decisions, and what guides us to have good judgment. Um, I think it's always important to think about not only precedent of what happened in the world before uh, all these technologies, but also kind of go back to the basics of what these technologies are all about. Mm. And, Um, I think that as blockchain people, we will be careful not to forget that censorship resistance is a core value.
0: Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's a really, I think that's a great note to wrap (laughs) up on. I really appreciate your time talking and, uh, visiting on this podcast and thank you for that. Um, and I wish you all the best with, uh, the next year of block party, see where it goes. It's going to be I, some crazy I appreciate stuff. that. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, and
1: I think that, um, I think it's been a real joy for me to, to have time to speak with you, uh, to talk about NFTs and talk about the space because you yourself as an artist, uh, and as somebody that understands the space as well as you do, um, I mean, I'm going to get a little bit smarter just from speaking with you, and but getting a chance to spin my wheels and talk. And I, I think um, when it comes to block party and this space, once again, once I get going, like there's there, you know there's there's no stopping. Um, so the potential it, is massive. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm um, I'm super appreciative for not only you having having me on, but also you devoting your time and talent to this space. You know, we need. We need people to um, to continue to get information and get information out there, and to get people learning because there's going to be somebody out there. I I think maybe a lot of people out there that come across what you do and and maybe go check out that piece of digital art. Maybe go down the rabbit hole um, and continue adding to this culture. And by and, and look and podcasting that that that's you know, the media that you create adds to the culture. And so, uh, I applaud what you do and and I'm just honored to be uh, to have been given the opportunity to speak with you.
0: Awesome. Well, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Um, Every guest I've had on, I've found it's actually been more beneficial to me probably. I'm the one that's learning from everybody. <laughs> so. uh,
1: well, um, I would actually I, I had no idea you were on own origin
0: actually um,
1: so I, 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 I would actually I would actually, lo- uh, I would actually love to uh, t- take a look if you can, if you can link me.
0: Yeah, yeah, we can uh, do that after the plug plug yourself. How do people find you at Known Origin? Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm a little bit maybe too modest for my own good. Um, (laughs) It's decline at Known Origin, D K -K 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 L E I N E. Probably my biggest claim to fame is my work with zombies. I did a zombie of Donald Trump way back in the election period, and it was just called Trump 2040. And uh, the joke being, he's still popular to half the country even if he's dead.
1: Oh my um, God! Are you kidding me? They're they're gonna one one day they're gonna they're just gonna weaken at Bernie's him and <laughs> put him up on a ticket.
0: Would it be any worse? <laughs> <laughs> you'll get votes. I'm telling you, you'll get votes. Uh, then fo- I followed that up with Biden 2024. The joke being, he's already so old that you know he'll be a zombie by by 2024. Um, and those those kind of took off in popularity, and from there, I went into all kinds of zombie stuff. So that's kind of my jam, but I do also do some other work. I'm on Rareable and OpenSea as well. As uh, both, all three, I'm decline D K L E I N E. Should I be pitching you uh, for, uh, for Block Party, <laughs> please? Uh,
1: well, uh, and, well, why don't I pitch you offline? But I but I'll, but I'll leave off the plug of my own, um, uh, blockparty.co. Um, one of, uh, we're recording on, um, I don't know if this, if this breaks the fourth wall, but we're recording on December 10th on a Thursday, um, Friday, December 11th, we're doing, um, a drop of Grammy nominated artist adventure club. And wow. that was truly, um, truly one of, um, my, my, my favorite experiences as an NFT person of talking to, um, talking to adventure club, talking to Layton, uh, somebody that's been involved in crypto, um, you know, s- since buying Bitcoin in early days, and it was just like interested in NFTs. Saw what Blau was doing. It was like, so why can't, So tell me, why can't I screenshot this? Or you know, kind of asking all the questions. And sure, sure. Um, after speaking with me and speaking with uh, my team with uh, the team members at Block Party who have walked them through the process, and now at the end of that at the end of that road. Our drop tomorrow with Adventure Club features the first work, you know, the first, the first music, you know, they they made in the basement, like figuring out how to be Adventure Club and figuring out a track. And there's all these visuals to it that they imagine be part of their brand. And it's a it, it in the art world we call it a retrospective. This is the genesis of Adventure Club, and I think um, I think this is really the vision coming to life. When again, when 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 musicians dig into the archives and figure out the content that made them who they are. And now they're gonna share it with their fans. Um, That to me is so exciting. And so tomorrow, the 11th, very special day for Block Party uh, drop. that means a lot to me for that reason. And um, uh, so uh, BlockParty.co, we've got a lot more coming up to close out the year. And um, I'm looking forward to big things ahead in 2021 from ourselves and all the platforms. Um, and I'd love to, I, I would love to live in a future also where, um, you know, you get to proudly say that your work's unknown origin, rareable, right. and, yeah. and block party.
0: It's, it's a thrill, you know, I think 2021 20, is going to be an amazing year there. I remember there, when we had these shutdowns early on with COVID and then there was a brief reopening. Mm-hmm. And I remember going out to a restaurant with a friend during this brief period of time where it was okay to go out to restaurants. That was the best burger and beer I'd had (laughs) in months. Right. Oh, I I hope 2021 feels like that, where it's just like all these things that we took for granted, just the mundane things. We're going to be like, Oh, isn't this nice? You know what I mean?
1: It's, I mean, it's going to be, I kind of felt that, right. I kind of felt that on, um, you know, actually the day that Pennsylvania announced that um, Joe Biden had won Pennsylvania, you know, the entire country had a dance party outside, and mm. I think that, you know, for a couple of hours on a Saturday, on a really nice Saturday afternoon in the Northeast, it it kind of felt like I already forgot about it for a minute. I'm not saying it's a good thing necessarily that they forgot about it for a minute, but <laughs> um, but that like the absolute like ex you know exclamation of like joy, and I think that's what we're all missing. Um, it's crazy. I mean, my my wife and I we live in um we live in New York City, and we went up. To Connecticut for the weekend, just to get a maybe like let's get to the city for a few days with this uh, with this virus stuff. We never went back. We're still in Connecticut. Um, <laughs> you know, I I'm telling when, when I when I get back to New York, uh, it will be uh, burgers and beers aplenty. Yep. <laughs> so, we had yeah, flights
0: booked for, for Manhattan that got canceled because of COVID. So oh. yeah, I I love Manhattan. I love New York. I'm actually yeah. Canadian. I live in Alberta. That's why know, I'm not wearing Duke. You know, I got to stay warm.
1: You know, I, I I I think somewhere in our emails, I picked up the um, I picked up the note about Alberta. Where where about? I mean, don't doctor yourself.
0: North of uh, Montana. Oh, that's,
1: that's that's
0: awesome. Is that um?
1: I, I I know that's, um, um, I'm
0: gonna forgive my ignorance here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a quick Google here no worries um okay uh, with this all being on the podcast right now that's cool uh,
1: but um i actually uh I, was, I got a chance to spend some time in winnipeg once oh did you <laughs> and <laughs> which i which i now again forgive my my ignorance. i have to figure out
0: if is, is winnipeg in alberta no winnipeg would take me if i were to drive i'd say about 20 hours Oh, okay. So, so now no, I can drive to Las Vegas or Winnipeg in about the same amount of time.
1: Well, I think that's an unfair comparison. So I was just going to say how much fun I had in Winnipeg as a city. <laughs> but uh, I have
0: driven to Las Vegas a few times, so I know. <laughs> all right, uh,
1: I've now exposed myself for you know for all, for all for all this knowledge I'm talking about in the art business. I've now exposed myself being a
0: terrible. So, I don't know. I don't know where. Uh, little rock arkansas is exactly either so it's okay
1: that's that's, um, all, that's, that's all right but um well, well, well i'd love to see you for a burger and a beer uh next time yeah. you're in next time you're in manhattan
0: yeah i i'll uh maybe make it happen we'll see if we can uh get through this soon and yeah i would really love to meet some of these crypto artists that i've been talking with in person you know and of course new york la those are probably the places to go san francisco maybe
1: um tradition i mean traditionally yeah um, and yet i think um some of i think uh, some of this, so, yeah,
0: i mean some of the artists are, are really scattered i think uh oh yeah sure hmm. well like one of them uh, daniel pan i speak with i think he's i forget which country he's in i'm a big daniel fan yeah <laughs> and uh he and i have talked quite a bit lately um hmm. i actually did a zombie of him for him is that right yeah, yeah.
1: I, uh, I, 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 I'm actually really keen to check. I, I, I'm a big sci-fi guy, so I, I'm, 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 i I'll, big...
0: I'll show you here. It's okay. You said for me to plug myself, so I'll... plug yourself. Yeah. Let Uh, okay. I'll just throw this in the link here. I don't know how much of this I'm going to cut out of the podcast. Um. Okay. Well, there's quite a mess of different things going on on OpenSea here. Um, if I go back to uh, here, I'll get you the Daniil pan. Zombie Daniil. <laughs> There's my zombie Daniil. Cool. I don't know if you All can right.
1: I, 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 I actually skipped right over the, the, the zombie, and, I, and I've, been, I've been looking at your stuff.
0: Okay. <laughs> this is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I actually no. got zombie Marilyn Monroe there. That's the Andy Warhol play there.
1: Yes, um, you got to check out
0: my zombie Oscar the Grouch. That's one of my favorites.
1: I'm right now. I'm actually um, I'm on um, I'm on experiment with color and beauty, mm. and I'm getting like I'm getting serious Alex Katz vibes from that from the orange, from the breathing, from oh, wow. and like the lines of the of, of the figure.
0: That's awesome. I was, in that case, I was playing with a royalty-free image and I just went, wow, that's just a really beautiful, simple photo. So I drew from that. And this was one of my first ones I did with Procreate, just playing with color and effects. So um, I bought an iPad the day before. I bought my iPad and uh, I think in the first two days I had it, I spent 14 hours on it. <laughs> so oh, this a little is crazy! Q. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I I really like Rudolph Giuliani as well. That's one of my favorites.
1: So, so the um, Trump interrupting himself indefinitely is interesting as well because you you're 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 speaking of um, you you mentioned that you did a zombie Marilyn and that's your nod to uh, Warhol, but you actually are doing a little bit of that with uh, Trump interrupting himself because you're kind of you know it's kind of like a negative. A negative space um like a reversal of like colors you think you'd see and it's and because he's interrupting himself because he's the, the image is symmetric and, and and flipped on each other so it actually kind of really looks like warhol's reversal series uh i hadn't thought of that wild that's uh that's what i'm here for
0: oh that's that's that was deliberate
1: <laughs> no no <laughs> but you know what that but you, you would not be um um, you you would be you would be maybe surprised or not surprised as up to you but a, a lot of the artists that I speak to in this space um, don't give themselves enough credit for um, just how just how much their art not only is groundbreaking but it really speaks to but it really speaks to uh, uh, art accomplishments of the past mm. um, and so, So, you know, when you when you do something that, you know, when you do something that's inspired by um, an artist like Warhol with, with Marilyn, you, you you don't you you don't maybe necessarily think immediately just how much looking at various other things of Warhol and and that experience sort of subconsciously informs other things that you do, and um, what? Yeah, that's a fair point. What you know? What you're, what you're. As I'm scrolling through your OpenSea page, and I'm seeing so many of, um, so many of these figures. Whether it's uh, zombie Giuliani, zombie Elon, maybe it's you know Trump or, um, or even Dead Mouse. know, you're taking, uh, you're taking Americana, right? Mm-hmm. And whether whether you know whether now no, that proud, is deliberate. Whether we're proud of it or not. And you know uh, the, these images are um, are images that speak to things that we see and feel every single day. You know, much in, you know, much in the same way that. Um, um, sorry, I should turn off Slack. Um, but much in the same way that, like, some of those works were so popular. Um, you know, that was that was taking American consumerism and making artwork out of it and and making a statement about make a statement about it what what you're doing is you're taking these images of americana you're taking these people and talking heads and personalities that we're exposed to every single day and you're making a statement with your art and 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 you're kind of in, in these zombified versions of of people you're showing society back to us in the form of art. And I think, uh, and, and, and don't be too modest. I, I, I think that th- that that's the mark of an artist. And it's really exciting to see now, having said all that, I really I'm now sure. having said all that I'm not on, I'm now on zombie Daniel. And, um, <laughs> and I can honestly say, um, I do. I enjoy Daniil as a person very much. I communicate with him on telegram and I, can now say that um, I have seen zombie Daniil before ever even seeing real Daniil. I don't I've never actually, I don't have any visual frame of
0: reference of what Daniil
1: looks
0: like. Now I've seen
1: zombie Daniil first.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of what you were saying there, I really appreciate that. I sent you one of a Coca-Cola icon. It was an iconic waitress ad. It's the last link I sent you there. And I called this one "Taste the Difference." And I just, uh, I, this is one of my favorites that I made. This was actually made just on my phone, just with my uh, Gall- my Note Ten stylus. This piece, and I just, it was a fun piece. But anyway, yeah. So, and then I had unknown origin. I don't know. Maybe you would like this one. This is one of my favorites on unknown origin. It's of. Uh, this is kind of bad for an audio podcast, though that i'm showing sure you pictures oh, no, it's,
1: it's, it's a great pod it's, it's a
0: great great <laughs> <laughs> what, what
1: what what an idea for a podcast let's let, 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 let let's sit on a podcast and look at art <laughs> and
0: talk about something that the listener cannot relate to whatsoever um so this is my zombie of roger veer it's the one of the ones that i made here <laughs> um so I do, I enjoy the kind of the jarring humor of the whole zombie thing as well, but uh, it's very fun. I'm actually doing a series for Christmas that I can't say much about yet, but it's pretty exciting. I, I That's all I will say about it right now.
1: Well, I'm going to try to be a little bit better of a podcast guest and say, right, uh, listeners, right now, I'm looking at a zombie there. Uh, it's, um, it's the image that if you have been in the cryptocurrency space for even five minutes, you've seen it's, um, it's Roger Ver rage quitting a zoom interview and, you know, holding his middle finger up, uh, beautiful, beautiful, azure blue background, oh, sorry, azure blue, uh, shirts, uh, on, um, on a much lighter blue, uh, background. But this particular zombie version of Richard bear the, the iconic middle finger is actually is actually zombie at off, which is so good. <laughs> um, what actually, but, and, 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 also, um, and also, listener, uh, the, the, in, the, in the metadata, the description, the title is Bitcoin Cash is Undead, which is such a great title um absolutely a great title um what um and and what, what else what I, what what I the commentary I want to make is that um I love I, 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 it's it's so it's so good to have a, it's so refreshing of a point of view and it's just sometimes it's really nice to just say just, exhal- just exhale and go just like bitcoin cash sucks <laughs> 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 and like Roger Ver's probably done more, not probably, Roger Ver's probably done more for the Bitcoin world Absolutely. than I have. Than I, than I have. Yeah. So my my hat's off to him. But like that rage quit was so funny. And Bitcoin Cash just sucks. And Bitcoin Cash is
0: undead is a, is, is a great perspective. I appreciate you. Thanks, man. Yeah. No, it's true. Roger Ver, you know, he had, he was instrumental in the early days of Bitcoin adoption, you know. Um, I just think they just he just went astray, that's all. He can come back anytime. Just come back to Bitcoin. <laughs> oh hey, after that, I got I gotta show you this one though. If you if you like the zombie veer, this is unrearable. This one is sadly just sat unsold. It's zombie Craig. In the description, I've written he insists he's a zombie. I'm not convinced. Now if you look <laughs> carefully. You might notice that. <clears throat> um, well, it's fairly clear he's painted himself with zombie green colors. If you, so, I don't know if he's uh, actually.
1: Okay, so uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do this again. So, uh, listeners, what what I'm what I'm looking at is 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 is, is a is a picture of Craig is, is an image of Craig Wright, and he's holding a microphone because, um, you would have to. You would, at this point, you would have to provide evidence of Craig Wright ever not holding a microphone mm-hmm. uh, to me. So the fact that he's holding a microphone in this image—he's
0: saying ug, ug.
1: It is, is familiar. Um, he's he's in a he's in a, he's in what appears to be a black button-down shirt, and again, there's this there's this really easy on the eyes sort of Tiffany's blue um, background and if you look and if you look closely the the skin, Craig Wright's skin tone is actually that of a caucasian i think australian man but he's but there's zombie there's zombie green painted over it and it's spattered on his hair and and, and sort of on the cuff of his of his collar and and his and his arm cuff and he has painted himself a zombie because that's who Craig Wright is he and just he, was was dead dead. Dead. he just and, dead. Dead. He just want, he just he just wants to he just wants to be a part of it and and, and again this is this is such a great pers- this is such a great use of the zombie to just like I I think it was I think it was Jean um, Cocteau who said style is a way of saying complicated things simply mm. and I think I'm butchering that quote but uh, but if but but isn't that what this is like? It's complicated to explain to a not Bitcoin person who Craig Wright is um, because, you know, he's Satoshi and people don't (laughs) know. No, but, you know, it's difficult to explain just how ridiculous this character is. Mm -hmm. And um, it makes it a lot it makes it, you know, everybody's, but everybody's familiar with the zombie and it makes it a lot easier to explain this complicated, complicated character by, uh, uh, by looking at a simple and. Beautiful and stylized image. You know, it's I'm really a, enjoying this.
0: I, I've got a, one more here for you. Speaking of Americana, click on the last link there. Do you have the Statue of Liberty there?
1: I have. Uh, it's loading. My my, my my internet in the woods of Connecticut is comically slow. Uh, for okay, for for, for the Theo Tech company, I should really have faster than dial-up internet. <laughs>
0: For the listeners, this is Zombie Lady Liberty, and uh, I was doing this in the early stage of the election, and I was feeling kind of like I don't know what's going to happen with this election, so it was kind of meant to express that notion of I don't know if we've kind of uh, maintained the ideals that America is known for in terms of espousing, you know, principles of freedoms and liberty and. Uh, opportunities for everybody but i don't know if you've got it there yet
1: uh not only have i got it but i've zoomed in and also listener um what i'm going to point out and i i I love this detail is lady liberty uh the lady liberty that you all know and love you know she's standing and holding a torch above her head and holding um a tablet in, in her left arm um Again, forgive my ignorance. Here, I actually don't know what the tablet of liberty on the. It's Latin
0: it is. thing or I don't remember. It's, it's,
1: uh, I. have always just assumed that it's. It said, you know,
0: you know, or whatever. or whatever. It doesn't actually. I don't remember what it says now.
1: Well, in 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 this version, it says, or actually written out, which is, which is hilarious." And now that I've seen enough of your artwork, I've now I kind of know what to expect when I go into. Uh, when I go into one of your pieces, it's I'm going to, I'm going to laugh because I love zombies, and I think that you've, other than looking, other than the figures looking like zombies, you also worked in like other sort of zombie ephemera, or like elem or like other zombie elements that mm-hmm. surround zombie life, like making moaning noises of. You know, and, and in this case, it's actually written out so it's funny. But then I'm gonna, but then I'm gonna actually, but then I'm going to spend more time looking at the figure, and I'm going as an as an art lover, I'm going to think, and I'm going to, if, and I'm going to appreciate what you've done, um, Lady Liberty. Again, for for the listener, again, picture, um, you know, picture in your mind's eye. Uh, let, let me paint you a picture with my words. <laughs> you know, she's. She's big, she's green, she's got these like flowing robes all over her. People people are really to robes, you know, I guess. Um and you know, if you think about a robe, not only um but let but let me preface all of this by saying lady liberty means a lot to me and my family. You know, we're we're immigrants from the Soviet Union coming to America, is, you know, changed the trajectory of my family story. Um and we came to Brooklyn and so you know, off the Bell Parkway, she's always visible, you know, nudged between Brooklyn and Manhattan. Um, But as a former um, and current resident of both Brooklyn and Manhattan, I can tell you that it is just so windy all the time. It is always so windy. So like when I think about the Statue of Liberty, she's big, she's green, big flowing robes, big wind. It's just like, there's a lot of movement in what I'm describing and the, the strokes of what you've created um, really take that movement that you'd associate with uh, with the Statue of Liberty and takes it to 11. You You've almost got sort of like Van Gogh, starry, you know, starry night movement uh, around the, around the road. So there's like a lot, there's, there's a lot going on with her melting eyeballs but there's like a lot but there's a lot going on because because in, in this case she's a zombie right so her flow her robes are sort of like flowing and tattered and so there's so much movement in that tattering and that flowing and so you know you're you, you've actually done something here that is um, that really resonates with me which is that uh, I, like I said I love sci-fi and I love fine art <laughs> and you and you've sort of spoke and, and I love crypto and yeah, really yeah. spoken to all the things that i love
0: here and That's so awesome. um, and so I'm, I'm actually really enjoying this and I'm really enjoying i really this. appreciate that you know as a kid i loved drawing comics my friends and i we had our own comic company so-called you know and we would sell our comics to our friends and uh i was an art major in university and i became a teacher and i taught art but i also taught um other subjects and now i teach pretty much only math is what i teach is the majority of the time what i teach which i love i actually love teaching math um but it wasn't until this crypto art thing came along that i was like all of a sudden just completely 100 fallen back into being totally enamored with art and i've just i can't stop it like i'm fully addicted <laughs> i'm making stuff on a daily basis um like i was saying before i'm doing a christmas thing that Maybe I can tell you after the recording a little about it, but I can't say it on the recording. Um, and I guess I'm the only, one, I guess I'm the only one teasing uh, teasing secret project. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I'm really just uh, what's the expression the British would say? I'm chuffed that you mm-hmm. thought that of my stuff. Well, I well I lo- I, I I love it. Be- I, I love hearing that. I love that as a fan
1: of this space. It it's so meaningful to me. Um, and I see this with friends of mine that caught the bug, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like Justin Blau, a phone call back in March led to SSX Blau. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've, got friends, like Normie friends that, you know, that got, that got into it and now love the NFT space and, and seeing your artwork and hearing about your story. again, it, it, it speaks to, it speaks to this whole thing that what I said earlier, like I know block parties in the right place because there is a co- because there is a culture growing a real honest to God hand over heart culture um, happening. And, um, and that's where, that's where we want to be. And as a business person, I'd rather be in an emerging culture that mm-hmm. is real. That is not just a number. It's not just something that people do as in your case. It's, it's something that people live. It's something that people eat, sleep and breathe and, you know, whereas block party used to be doing a thing that is just an operational part of events, you know, that feels limiting being a platform, growing into an emerging culture feels like the shackles are off and we can do anything. Uh, and it make and just as an, and, and just personally, it makes me so happy to be, um, to be building a platform where when people are as passionate as, as I've seen in this space and, and you yourself, Um, if we can build a platform to serve in service of those people, that feels great.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I know for myself, it's been life-changing. I love it. So are you still teaching? Yeah, I teach full-time. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in the next little while with things with the art, you know, and, uh, you know, I'd love to, you know, keep expanding it. It's gone better than I ever imagined it would. Um, you know, so who knows where I am in a, in a year or two. I don't know. It's, it's uh, I enjoy teaching. I like it. I, I don't like the social isolation of just being on my own at home. Mm. Like I've, like, even with the whole COVID thing, like right now we're teaching remotely. Right. Yeah, And just not being around people is, is harder, you know? So
1: that's a, and listen, that's a struggle that, um, that's a struggle that I think everybody can sure identify with but also sure everyone can identify with it but when you're when you're when you're teaching part of um, I imagine part of teaching is not that I've taught but like part of teaching is um, feeding off of there's interplay right you like you, sure. you're, you're you're pushing information to students but then students are very oftentimes, pushing information back at you either in a binary sense, like answers to questions, or at least like, I didn't realize just like, when I, when I was a student, I thought I was so sneaky with like my phone, like down by my lap and just kind of like texting or something. Um, once I started like speaking at, at you know, about blockchain and, and, and art <laughs> and like I, I did, I, I remember I um, up uh just a few blocks north of block party offices is New York law school. And okay. um, I spoke New York law school is having like a, um, an event about blockchain and like music rights. And I, I don't know why they decided that I should talk about music rights, but anyway, but I was, I was, um, the conference was in the lecture hall setting of New York law school. And um, is that was what called New York, whatever. It's the one that's sort of in, in Tribeca. Um, but, I, but I was, I was speaking to a, to, a, to a lecture hall, and who knew that you could see every single student and their eyes, if they're paying attention or they're not, that you are absolutely getting an energy reflection back from every single student. And I could tell 75% of them were like on their phones. Dude, yeah. Stop, stop, stop joining on. say something exciting.
0: Anyway, yeah. But yeah, so um, I
1: mean, it, it, it's isolating, right? Because you, um, because there there's an interplay of energy between yourself and students, and you can still teach on Zoom, you can still teach on video conferencing, you can still do the thing that you have to do, but um, but so much of um, but so much of what you do for work and that you're passionate about relies on that in-person thing. So it's
0: sure, it's, it's sort of a performance art in a sense, you know, and when you don't have that. Immediate connection there—it's—it's it's lacking something. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I can only, I can only imagine. Um, you know, we definitely at Block Party, we're the same thing. You know, we definitely miss the input, the um, <clears throat> the the culture of being in the office, um, and you know, we get we get our work done, um, and we have the Zoom meetings and the Hangouts, and we have our Slack, and we have all the things that we need to get the work done, execute the vision, execute the roadmap, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it's a different thing when anytime I want to talk to anybody in the organization, it's kind of a thing, right? Like I have to schedule a Zoom or like I have to like calendar a hangout. And um, so every conversation is definitionally arranged. Even if it's like, yo, let me grab you on Hangouts for five minutes, you know, and like, "Here, boom, here's an invite. Even in that sense, like you're still like in the hangout Whereas there's something about like sitting in an office with a whiteboard and just be like, hey, I have a really stupid idea, but like I'm going to sketch it out. Totally. What, yeah. what, what, do you guys, what, what do you guys think? Now if I have a stupid idea, I have to be mindful of the fact that I'm now taking somebody's time that they have to get on the hangouts with me and, and listen to my stupid idea and I have to whiteboard it and they have to whiteboard it. It's just, yeah. it's just much more – everything is much more of a like a, like a thing now. And uh, I yeah. really – I've um, one of the things I'm so fortunate about with Block Party. Is you know I mentioned our CTO Joseph Fischella, but uh, our, my co-founder Shiv Madan, um, everyone in that office is so brilliant. You know, so like you kind of feed off of like how smart everybody is and like learn from just like the the chatter. And so even though it was kind of nice at first with quarantine, just be like ah from home. Like <laughs> after a while, like you know you're, you're kind of missing out on the benefits of being uh, being surrounded by um, by smart, hardworking people all the time.
0: Totally, and just the energy from that, which is kind of an intangible thing. But
1: I do get to hang out with my dog, and he's no—that's true. About, that's he's, a positive. he's taught me a lot about you know the pursuit of treats and life, liberty, and happiness, and it's great.
0: <laughs> and there, there's simple uh, drive to just achieve those few things. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh. Well, hey, thank you very much for chatting, um, and uh, I hope we do stay in touch. And I will really see you for a burger and a beer in New York sometime.
1: Um, let's, let's, let's commit to that because uh, I think that we've, um, what began as a podcast has blossomed to a friendship. So there let's, so let's, uh, let's, let's roll that. You know, you say you love Manhattan. Uh, let's roll that into um,
0: let's roll that into a burger
1: and a beer and a walk with Whitney, you know, like it'll be great.
0: Awesome. Thanks again, Vlad. And, uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Non-Fungible Podcast. We'll talk again soon. Cheers. Thanks again for listening to the Non-Fungible Podcast. See you again soon.